One, two, ten. You're listening to the Claim the Throne Bloodcast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2015. Who is it? Lime, Lime. Uh, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. You're listening to the Claim the Throne Bloodcast at the festive time of the year with Cabba and Ash. I am Cabba and your other host is Ash, who's about to talk now. Hey guys, it's me. What a special Christmas gift this is. What's cracking today, Large? Not much. Just dropped off a Christmas present this morning to a very special friend of mine. And uh, now I'm back with a morning coffee chatting to my mate Cabba. Who was it and what did he get? Uh, it was a friend of mine called Jack. And I gave him a block-mounted poster of some Marvel characters. Fuck yeah. Yeah, so what's been happening, Cabba? Oh, I've just been reflecting on our year as it comes to an end, uh, thinking about some of the shit we've been doing, because we've been pretty uh, quiet on the gig front the last few months. It feels like we've done nothing this year, but actually we've done a fair few things. We did um, did a, well, our tour of USA and Canada was actually this year, being that it was January, just feels like forever ago. Yeah. Um, we played the uh, 70,000 Tons cruise, we've toured Japan, we've toured Australia, we did that other cruise in Melbourne. We've done a whole shitload of these podcast episodes, just about up to episode 50, who would have thought? Uh, so yeah, thanks to everyone out there who is still tuning in, <coughs> Paul Cottrell, <coughs> and uh, yeah, fucking trudging along. Anything else that awesome that's happened this year that I've missed? Uh, I guess we've written half an album. Yeah, it's been that's pretty, pretty cool. exciting. At least we're getting somewhere with that, which is a good sign. But it's all pretty exciting, man. Yeah. So, what else have you been thinking about lately, mate? Oh, tell us a great story, Ash. Uh, yeah, I think um, it's a pretty interesting time when we're doing this because a few things are happening. One is uh, Soundwave 2016 has been cancelled. Uh, originally, it was the 2017 Soundwave Festival had been cancelled and then, you know, it wasn't more than a couple of days and, yeah, the 2016 one got, got canned and all of this stuff went through the media about the promoter AJ Matter and everyone's got these, you know, massive social media rants about the guy and big bands from overseas just owed millions. The guy's in debt heaps and heaps. So yeah, it's a really, it's a really sort of crazy thing that's going on at the moment. But yeah, what are you, what are your thoughts on all that? It's definitely interesting, isn't it? It's a pretty big story for um, Australia, Australian like heavy music, really, because it's um, you know, big day out. It's gone now, pro- possibly thanks to the same promoter. I'm not sure, and um, yeah, it's all starting to hit the international news as well. Um, so it's just a, a crazy thing, and mm. you know, who the hell knows what to make of it, really? Um, people pointing fingers at each other all over the place, um, and. Uh, yeah, so you're hearing conflicting stories and, yeah, I don't know. It's been, you know, you hear crazy stories about this for the last few years, really, of bands not getting their payment and, or, you know, complaining a year later from, we still haven't been paid from this sound wave and that sound wave. And it just feels yeah. like this was all just a storm in a teacup that was just ready to explode at some point. And, um, yeah, I think this was bound to happen last week. They said the um, the 2017 one wouldn't be happening and it was pretty obvious that, that the current year's one was going to be canned as well with the you know, bands leaking a bit of info on their Twitter about how they weren't even confirmed before they were announced and still trying to 
confirm all sorts of things. And, and AJ is obviously um, a guy who's on Twitter every day of his life, um, posting all sorts of things that probably should remain private, you'd think. I mean, I don't know the guy, so I can't you know comment on him um, personally or anything. I've, I've actually only ever heard positive things about him. Um, but I don't know. It's not... I don't, Personally, I don't think it's a, a good thing to hear... Um, people in a professional um, position like he is just all over Twitter telling everyone about absolutely everything. Yeah. I get, you know, like open open management and, you know, getting the fans to feel like they're part of it and everything. I mean, look at this podcast, for example, but there's a line, I think, where you need to just, just keep quiet a bit and stop yapping your mouth away every five seconds. And Yeah, yeah I don't know. So it's hard, <laughs> hard to know, really, have comments too much about it, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really know what to think about it. And there's all these um, people out there saying how it it might be a good thing for the Australian, or you know, from our perspective, we see a lot of metal metal stuff. But I'm sure in the a rock and alternate scene, they're probably saying similar things. But yeah, maybe it'll mean more tours, more club tours for bands that we love. Um, take a band. I thought of one, uh, two per- perhaps on different sides of the coin. One was Whitechapel, who toured Australia, just headlining on their own. And then that happened once. And then they came back like four times or three times with Soundwave and played half an hour sets in the middle of the afternoon. And that was it, you know, <laughs> in, in yeah. capital cities. And then there's a band like, um, well, there's Devon Townsend. And he did Soundwave one year. And then since then, he's been back once or twice just on his own. So... Uh, it's hard to say if bands are being pulled away from just doing club shows because of uh, Soundwave, and usually the bigger bands will do these sidewave shows as well. But you know, maybe it will mean some more club shows, and that might help out not only for punters who don't want to pay two hundred bucks just to see maybe one or two bands on a bill, they could possibly go to two separate concerts in a year and pay twenty to sixty bucks a ticket each. Um, and not have to wait around all day in the hot sun or um, yeah just local bands and stuff like that might get a bit more traction if there's not this giant thing that everyone's going to I don't know what do you think about that kind of stuff yeah I think if that was to happen that would probably be a pretty positive thing um, but you can see why these bands are doing it when you, you the the info on the net that's been leaked recently where it's got the list of money that is actually owed to all these bands. We're talking millions of dollars. Like, mm. this is not... You can't make that sort of money if you're coming touring here, I would assume. I mean, unless you're a big headliner like a an Iron Maiden or something, like, how, how could you ever earn that much money doing club shows apart from, you know... I don't know, unless you're really huge. Yeah, and, but Cabot, but, I'll but, throw you a curveball. I can't wait for it. The bands haven't been paid the millions of dollars. Well, exactly. So no, that's right. You're right. How how is it possible? Well, it's not. It's not even it's possible, not possible on Soundwave no. because he, you know, he's biting off more than he can chew. Yeah, absolutely. So it's probably an eye opener, if nothing else. Um, bands will think twice before they're offered these big payments. I guess before they come over here, and then they just might go, "Well, it's too much trouble than it's worth." Mm-hmm. We'll just book our own tour, and I think that would be a pretty positive thing. Yeah, I agree. It's probably almost better for um, from a local band's point of view as well, because stuff like Soundwave never really had, um, you know, a, a whole lot of 
local supports getting on the bill. It was always big name um, international acts or the occasional Australian act that's sort of breaking through. Um, so, I mean, more tours and less festivals. Maybe there's more opportunities for younger bands to get on support slots there. Um, could be a, a possibility. But then we've also got the problem of... It was only not that long ago and still sort of now where there are too many tours happening and you might have, you know, three to four tours in one week and they all cost 60 to $70 to go. You can't afford to go to them all. You've got to really pick and choose. Um, therefore... All of the events are affected in a negative way, uh, unfortunately. So, I, I really don't know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so that's a big thing that's hard for us to comment on. We've never done shows that big. And some of the bands that we know that have played Soundwave have thought it was pretty awesome and have had a good time. So, you know, you never know. Maybe it's just bad business, the good intentions bad business or good intentions bad investments or who the fuck knows but yeah it can be great for bands to do especially touring bands it's if as long as they get paid it was a guaranteed money for them whereas doing their own club tour in australia it's a pretty big risk because of all the traveling involved in doing a tour it's not a bus thing it's a plane thing so interesting yeah it's it's different being being this part of the world obviously um you know if you look at Europe with all all of their millions of summer festivals, you never hear a bad word about them. They're obviously run extremely well. Um, Bands make good money out of it. All of them have ginormous turnouts, um, Mm. but none of that really happens here. And it could be because of the location. Um, Seriously, if you're into a bunch of the headlining bands, Soundwave is cheap, man. Like mm -hmm. 200 and even if it was $300 to see that many crazily good bands or whatever... But because, you know, a gig like um, Nine Inch Nails and Queens of the Stone Age was a hundred bucks or something. So, you know, if you can get that kind of value times times three or whatever, you know what I'm getting at here? Fuck, I can't even say it. You guys figure out what I'm trying to say. (laughs) But but, You're talking about maths, Ash, I think. And um, like you say, you you could see two bands on one bill and two bands on another bill and both those gigs cost a hundred dollars each you've spent the same amount going to one festival and you're seeing you know 20 big name bands so it's good good value in that regard it's um just a different sort of environment i guess you've got to deal with some of your favorite bands getting shitty half hour time slots in the middle of the day that overlaps with some other big bands and there's going to be issues like that and you've got to fight the crowds you've got to pay more for your drinks you've got to be out in the sun all day and and everything, which obviously all has its pros and cons. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, yes, to weigh up anyway, yeah, definitely obviously. pros and cons. But at the same time, um, I saw Queens of the Stone Age and Nine Inch Nails, and that was just a good tour package. If you want to put on some good bands, you're going to probably pull a good crowd. Whereas at Soundwave, you've also got to sift through just the countless, countless hours of shit as well, because... <laughs> You know, it's hard enough to please people with a lineup um, when there's two or three bands on the bill. Oh, what? Did you book that band as well? Like, let alone when there's fucking 100 bands or whatever the hell's on there. Mm-hmm. So, it's a tough one. At the moment in Perth, we've also got this thing going on. or well, I think it's Australia-wide called Scorcher Fest. And there's been a little bit of heat on the old social media because um, it would appear that Scorcher Fest is one of these pay pay-to-play scenarios where bands buy tickets off the promoter and then sell them on and any profit they make on top of that is theirs 
But of course, you've got to recoup the money for the tickets that you buy off the promoter first before you can make any money of your own. Um, a friend of mine wrote on one of these sponsored ads. Um, so, you know, these pervasive ads that will pop up on your newsfeed. And he has every right to just say, pay to play has no place in WA. And then he was threatened by a bunch of, um, you know, quasi litigation um, from the promoter of Scorcherfest saying, you know, you better not say anything more or else um, there's going to be an, an action lawsuit against you, including um, the venues or whatever are going to get involved so you better not do anything or something like that just ridiculous when you know he didn't really say anything outrageous at all um i think he just maybe called them out it's probably just ill-timed being on a um sponsor that that i've paid for (laughs) which well done on his behalf really yeah so whatever that's that is what it is but it got me thinking because that started a huge wave of just criticism against scorcher fest and people asking what is pay to play. And of course, if you listen to the Claim of Throne broadcast, you'll know that with our Josh Wosley episode, we did talk about Uberfest, which was a pay to play scenario. Was that Uberfest we talked about? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it was just the generic um, setup of quote unquote festival. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know how that's going to be affected now with Soundwave Gone or anything or if at all, but it's just one of those things where. Um, I, I guess, yes, it's advertised as this big festival, but at the end of the day, it's just filled with all bands who have paid a fair chunk of money to get onto that show um, just to get a gig. And I mean, obviously, yeah, it's cool for an opportunity for bands to get gigs if they can't get them any other way. It's good exposure and experience for them. But mm. what really, I think they just pay for one big headlining band and the rest of the bands have all paid their own way on there and they're just playing in front of their own family and friends that are willing to pay $30 to go and watch them. So one of these ads popped up on my feed and, you know, taking taking my lead from my other buddy, I just thought, I wonder what is the deal? So I said, how many tickets do the bands need to purchase in order to play? Do you refund the bands for any tickets that they can't sell? Good question. And does the amount of tickets you sell to the bands, and keep in mind there's 27 bands on this bill, do this, does the amount of tickets you sell to the bands exceed the capacity of the Rosemount? Because if they sell, what's what's the cap of the Rosemount? 450 or something? 500? Yeah, if that, yeah. The thing is they've... 27 bands and they give them 20 tickets each that's 400 tickets out there so then if Scorcherfest themselves can actually sell tickets on top of that then you might have actual capacity issues but I think they kind of get around that because they're doing a two stage so inside and outside so usually when you have a gig on at the Rosemount you don't charge entry until you go into the main room um, whereas they're probably charging entry to get into the beer garden section as well so their capacity, yeah. so they kind of circumvent that, which is clever on their behalf. But anyway, I got it. I did get a reply. I was so utterly confused by this. Let me see if you can figure out what he's trying to say. Hello, Ash. Generally, twelve online. Then they make twenty dollars every ticket online and receive thirty or more tickets, which they can keep all of the money from. They can ask for more, which they receive for free. There is no upfront cost to the band, so there is nothing to refund unless they decide to buy their own tickets, which they are then responsible for. 
Fans who buy tickets are refunded if the act doesn't sell their minimum. We don't sell tickets to any acts unless they buy them online themselves, which hardly ever happens. The amount is way below the Rosemount capacity. They just beat around the bush big time. They just don't want to say yeah. how it really is that, yes, the bands do need to buy the tickets and, yes, there is a minimum in order for their set to go ahead mm-hmm. practically. And, you know, who who's real Like, aren't people... Bands are going to have friends that want to support them and go to their gigs, but if they have to pay at least 30 bucks to get in to see all these bands that they've never heard of, mm-hmm. people are not going to be willing to do that. And if they are... If we're talking about maths here, do you say there's 27 bands? Yep. And if they're all selling, what do they say, an average of 12 tickets? Well, it sounds like they're required to sell 12, which is their minimum. At a minimum of, say, 30 bucks, there's 10 grand pretty much already going straight into the the festival just from band tickets as a minimum. Yeah, you're right. It's beating around the bush. There is no upfront cost, blah, blah, blah. They say unless they decide to buy their own tickets which they are then responsible for. So they're offered the opportunity to buy 12 tickets online. They have to sell them for, let's say, 30 bucks and they get to keep 20. But um, what's his name? Scorchfest gets 10. I don't know. That's confusing in itself. But it's, it sounds like they're kind of forced. If you want to play the gig, you've got to buy these 12 tickets and sell them. If you don't, the fans who bought those 12 tickets get refunded but you also don't get to play, I think is what's implied. I think it's a really scammy thing and I I get it. I know I've done this sort of stuff when when we were first starting out, but I don't think we actually had to purchase the tickets, but it was, yeah, if you can sell heaps of tickets and you get money, that's great for your band. But the reality is that festivals festivals like this get no-name bands who want experience, who want to network, who want to play to crowds to, to buy tickets and then be forced to use their non-existent network to sell those tickets, mm-hmm. which then invariably goes to their family and friends who aren't regular gig goers. And then the, even if they play to a couple of hundred people, it's all people who don't attend local gigs who are only there to support their friends who might go, oh, that band's pretty cool, but they never ever see them again because you got to remember the fans have no idea of uh, like family and friends have no idea of where to find information about local gigs on a regular basis. So people that actually support the local scene are highly unlikely to be at this event. Exactly. So it's far more productive for a band to play a, a local support slot on a four band bill, even if they don't get paid, but as long as they don't have to pay hundreds of dollars in order to get on there, it's still more beneficial. Even if they're playing to 20 people, there might be five there that are actually worthwhile playing in front of mm-hmm. as opposed to 200 of daddies that don't know what they're looking at. Yeah. And um, I've got two things to compare it to. One, why? <laughs> two, it's the first gig I ever did. It was like five bucks on the door and I told all of my buddies and my mum and stuff, come down and watch my first gig and... You know, we played to a packed room. It was probably like 40 people there that came to see us. None of those people ever went to a gig again. And that was a $5 ticket. Yeah. And they went to all the effort to do it and never, ever came to shows ever again, unless I forced them and put them on the door for free later. Um, the other the other thing is there was this band called, God, what were they called? Mo Chief? Not Mo Chief, but 
uh, Harry O'Brien from Collingwood football team. His his brother, his yeah. his brother um, was in this band from Perth, and I, God, I forgot their name, but they had this song that ended up being like the club anthem for one year of the Collingwood yeah. team. Uh, obviously because it's his brother and Harry was the star of the footy team and it got played on the grand final into the crowd or something like that. Some crazy shit. Anyway, they were kind of this band that had had a bit of uh, networking with the mainstream media. They did a show at Rosemount that was a charity event and okay. um, I knew one of the guys in the band because I was friends with his brother and his brother said, come down and watch watch my, um, watch my brother play at the Rosemount. It's this huge gig. He's got tickets to sell. You buy them for 20 bucks and all the money apparently goes to charity, but you can have these tickets for free or something ridiculous like that. I rock okay. up. Adrian Barrich is there. <laughs> A local Western Australian football players are there. People that I see hosting the news. Like there's all this, like it was really like being in another time zone at the Rosemount. I, I couldn't believe where I was and who I was amongst I, it just didn't feel like a gig. 600 people, man. Wow. That band then went on to play for no one at their next gig. Yeah. You know, the, these things, you know, they hype up, hype up, hype up as if it's some big major deal and then they just disappear. Lloyd. Fucking Floyd's feet, hey. So, yeah, anyway, that's that's another one. That's, that's Scorcher Fest for you. I think a better idea, Cabba, is to maybe... Not a from scratch, either point them to the episode or just really briefly, how would you get your first gig if you were a band like that? And what would your expectations oh. be? I don't know, man. Like, if you're really starting off, look, if we look at us, we did do a, like, a Battle of the Bands styled thing. Um, but it worked out pretty well for us in the end. Um, it didn't cost anything to do it, for starters, which is good. Um, you get to play at a renowned venue in Northbridge or in, in the city for, it's just a small venue, but where they actually hold gigs. So you're kind of guaranteed to have people go there anyway, who might just go for a drink on the weekend and they're going to keep going to gigs, whatever's on, which is also a positive. Your friends and family can come. They've just got to pay the entry fee, which might be five bucks. Uh, and then there's, you know, a bit of a voting process and whatever. It's all just, that's really irrelevant to be honest, as long as you're getting the, the experience there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the band wins a gift voucher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you might get to you win $50 to go to the local music shop and get some shit, but at least, you know, it's something It's and it's a bit of fun and it's positive reinforcement towards the bands, I guess. But with ours, it was lucky because our, they sort of ran the heats pretty well where they would have all the heavy bands in one heat and then all the rock bands in another heat and it sort of went like that. So you'd actually get people from the local scene going to the heavy set because they would see a bunch of upcoming heavy bands, I guess. And from there, we started getting offered opening slots at other shows. So it might be a local gig where you might get maybe 50 people if you're lucky and you get to open and you don't get paid but it's a bit of exposure and it only takes a, a few of those gigs for you to you know impress people enough to start getting start slowly moving your way up the bill and after a couple of years then you know you're the second headliner at shows and you're getting a, a cut per head of a show um, and then just you know over time and with more experience and as you build your fan base then you um, you eventually 
earn your spot as a headliner and as someone who's actually making a little bit of money and and you're playing to an actual crowd of relevant people. So I guess that's one way and that's how we've done it. But really, you've just got to... We've, we've talked about this heaps. You've just got to network. If you're in a heavy band and you want to start playing local shows, then just go to local shows yourself. See what other bands are around. Tell them they had a good set and introduce yourself you know if you see the same people at every gig go up and shake their hand tell them who you are um the internet's there you go on your facebook groups you find the right forums you put your band out there you know check out our band here's a link to our latest song you've got to have decent quality demos available for people to listen to on the net and as soon as the local promoters are out looking for for young bands to put on their gigs, they're going to find you easy enough. They're going to ask around, have you heard of any upcoming bands? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I met this guy at this gig the other week. His band was this, and I checked them out, and they sound pretty good. Give them a show. And, you know, be realistic. Don't expect to play to huge crowds. It's just only going to be small, maybe 20 people in front of you, but it's going to be people that are possibly going to buy your merch, and there's going to be good word of mouth. Um, and they're going to speak to the relevant people. And it's a lot easier to sell merch when there's four, three or four bands on the bill rather than totally. when there's 27. Um, <laughs> yeah. What else is going on on social media at the moment? Are people fucking yapping their mouths about any other shit that we need to talk about? We've all watched baggage handlers throw shit around and it's the <laughs> worst thing, man. I'm sure you've seen it, but... I have, yeah. Yeah, miles away... Uh, the band who, man, Perth band, kick ass. They've been around for years. They've been touring for years. They were doing the States back in like 2005, I'm going to say, like years ago. Still going strong. And they did the same thing a lot of bands have done. Saw a baggage handler throwing shit from the plane onto a pile of luggage, including expensive equipment. And they started filming, posted it online. And I'm pretty sure, man, it's up to like a million hits at the moment. It's yes, gone well over a million views, yeah. 1.3 million. It's gone absolutely viral. There's heaps of shares, hundreds of thousands of fucking comments. They've tagged Virgin in there and the Perth airport and all that. <laughs> it is so great because this guy is just, just ditching this shit. And yeah, hopefully something happens and hopefully it makes people who are baggage handlers think twice about, you know, throwing people's shit around. And I did see a guy say like, Oh, well, that's what hard cases are for, mate. Blah, blah, blah. But I'll put it to you like this. We all have brains that are protected by fluid and a hard case called a skull. Um, Yet, if that was to be thrown against a wall or thrown onto a a pile of fucking luggage, the brain would still get damaged. Gear, guitars go out of, um, you know, the intonation gets put off, the setup and action needs retooling solder inside electronics um can't withstand impact and you know hard cases are expensive as well you can't be affording to buy a new hard case every time you catch a flight after it gets thrown around and gets scuffs and shit all over Mm. it um you should we should post some pictures of like jim's old hard case or you guys yeah sometimes you pick up your guitar and you're like this has been fucking chucked around or even if it's if, it's, if your guitar itself hasn't been damaged because you've got a good hard case, it's still being thrown onto another piece of luggage and could break something else. Yeah. It's um, despicable, man, and I am hope something yeah, happens. Yeah, so in that Miles Away thing, though, I did notice they put an update on there saying they've been contacted by Virgin, who've been you know, pretty understanding and stuff. I don't think the guy was employed by Virgin. He was a Perth airport worker or something, but um, it appears that it's been handled pretty well from 
from what it sounds like and miles away i've sort of asked for people not to take it out on virgin and you know <laughs> they didn't expect it to go so viral mm-hmm. but it obviously has because it's something that does affect everyone and people see it all the time and to get it captured on video like that is is rare so people will just latch onto that and share the fuck out of it it's just not cool man yeah and it'd be nice you you don't even want to check it in you want to take your stuff on this carry on but they're constantly decreasing the amount you can even take on you as carry on Mm. so you've got no option but to to put a majority of your music gear as check-in and you've got to trust someone else with your expensive shit so i don't know And, and airlines like virgin have um been pretty good for musicians the last couple of years and starting to increase the limit of things that they're allowed to take on um and offering some sort of deals as well where you can get cheaper flights so hopefully um yeah like you say there is some traction with this and some positive comes out of it remember when i called you earlier today and said what time are we podging today or something like that i do yeah i messaged you or some shit i'm not kidding you I pressed play on this podcast I was listening to. What podcast was it? Brett Easton Ellis. He's the guy who wrote American Psycho. About Mm. to interview Quentin Tarantino and he cops some heat for his conversation or a piece he wrote or something like that. They're referring to uh, something rather and saying that they're blaming it on, and here's the quote starting, Facebook culture conspiring to create a generation of wussy self-victimizers who overreact Mm. to the slightest thing that alters their self-made safe spaces which they've been occupying ever since they began building their social media havens, where they can only have friends who agree with them about everything and all the things they like and tune out anything that might challenge them, scare them, or God forbid, have a different opinion than theirs, perhaps entering into a debate that would help them become an adult. We'll just watch season 19 of South Park for that illustrated in cartoon form. It's It sort of highlights what does happen in the in the music scenes that if you post about something that you're doing about a piece of equipment you bought about a project you're working on about the fact that you just wrote the sickest riff ever or something like that and people start liking you it doesn't actually mean that whatever you've done or whatever you're doing is actually any good and when people say the sickest riff ever oh did you just write drag the waters by pantera and they're like (laughs) no dickhead fucking blah blah and they get into a big fucking thing about it it's like you know what man when you put yourself out there and you put your views on art and your craft and music and shit out into the world to people who don't have anything to do with that shit you're gonna get blowback and you're gonna get people who disagree with you and it's part of the contract don't get on your high horse about it get on with your life because it's too short to be sitting around there doing that. We talk about procrastination all the time. Don't fight with the dude about how your riff might suck or that the film clip you put up there might suck or something like that. Just go and write another song. Go and rehearse the song. Go and blow that dickhead out of the water by being the best you can be. Don't get bitter, get better. Exactly. I know. Sometimes you might see a band post their new music video and you go, that's really shit. And then you look at all the comments and they're all saying how it's the best thing they've ever seen since sliced bread. (laughs) And it makes you really question the integrity of what you are looking at. And I don't know, just, yeah. Take take a lot of that with a grain of salt and keep on scrolling. In, say. in the same way that when you look out to your crowd at Scorcher Fest and you don't recognise <laughs> um, people other than family and friends, you might not be at the um, you know the world record breaking concert event of your life that will get you mm. signed and get you making money off your tunes. 
yeah, you can enjoy it for what it is and you can, um, you know, enjoy the uh, experience of playing in front of a, a big crowd like that. But don't go blowing your own trumpet for the rest of the week how you played to hundreds of people on the weekend and it's all because your band rocks. Yeah, and certainly don't take any... Um any people just instantly liking or agreeing with your shit on social media as justification for you to going, hang on a minute, 300 people reckon that I'm pretty cool. And then this dickhead goes on here and says, hey, mate, maybe you should check yourself. You know, maybe just don't fight with that person and maybe just go like, oh, perhaps they have a valid point and just fucking move on with it. Or, mm. or disable comments on your posts. If you're literally just trying to, um, show what you're doing that day or the fucking meal that you're eating or whatever it is, you know, just stay, disable the comments. This is what Ash is up to today. That's it, you know? Because, <laughs> yeah, every time you put it out there, you're inviting criticism. And, man, don't fight with people online. It really does nothing for anyone at the end of the day. It probably serves to make you angry and actually distracts you from whatever it is that you should be doing. Cool. Is there anything recently that you've been listening to, Cabba? Fuck yeah. I've got a few, but we'll start off with Symphony X's Underworld. Get fucked. You heard those guys before? Yeah, of course. Man, I never really have much, to be honest. Wow. Um, one Paul Descurney, when I asked him what his album of the week was, said Symphony X. I was like, cool, I'll check that out. Fuck it, rocks, eh? Yeah. Dig it. Cool. Big time. Um, sounds like just a real modern version of even your Panteras and Slayers and Megadeths and shit with a power prog feel in it and a bit of a saw work feel almost. Yeah. Um, but fucking sick. And uh, and also the new Unleashed album, Dawn of the Nine. Get out. I'm going to have to listen Forget about that. that as well, hey. Okay. Really fucking good. Like, um, like old Unleashed? It is. More modern production. And I find like the longer they're together the more they're sounding like at the gates crossed mm -hmm. with a Marth or something eh? sweet but with John Tardy on vocals and um, yeah I don't know it's just really really sick as well so both of those will be in my top five albums of the year wow for shiz. Um, it's funny because often my album of the week is the album of the week from the previous week that you've done because <laughs> yeah. I'll go and listen to stuff that you've mentioned and think it's kick-ass and talk about it um and in this case it's the very same um i had a few listens to the requiem metal podcast over <laughs> last week yeah. and i listened to the um it was the eucharist episode I oh, um you were saying the i've been i'm about halfway through the at the gates episodes and i also listened to the dissection storm of lights bane one mm -hmm. and yeah it's just interesting because what they do is they play a little bit of the music from the album or the band that they're talking about and like they'll play two or three songs and then they'll chat about it in between and it's funny because they they talk between themselves and reference dudes that you know us as listeners don't know who they're talking about they're like so when did chris get into this band and then the other guy's like i don't know it was probably about the time that we were just hanging out at the record store i'm like what the fuck are these guys on about who's chris and who where's the record store but yeah they they have this interesting take on a lot of the stuff because they were around and buying albums when this sort of old school 90s shit was coming out and so yeah it's cool and it forces you to listen to some songs that might not have either a ever heard for instance live versions or things like that but also songs that i just 
you know, I've heard them a million times and haven't listened to them in ages. And when yeah, they discuss like, like the songs in context of an album and in context of what year it came out and all that sort of thing. I think they're really credible uh, metalheads with their opinions on stuff. Um, and even, you know, it's probably kind of boring. You're not going to sit there and listen to the entire episode a lot of the time or, you, you know, you don't, it's not something you'd listen to constantly. Um, but they just sound like they're having fun. It sounds like a really cool idea of an opportunity for them to catch up and listen to an album and talk about it and record it. Yeah. Which is really cool. Very cool, man. I really enjoyed that. The other thing that happened is my, got to mention him every episode, Bobby Osinski, that um, <laughs> the hard copy of the drum recording handbook came in the mail. Oh, um, cool. Very nice book. Totally yeah. irrelevant to me because I've read the PDF at work. But it came with the DVD, which is why I bought it. And that's pretty hilarious, like how 90s it seems. I don't know when it was made, but yeah, just they use absolutely rock bottom cheap gear in it. It's amazing how sort of consumer level all of the equipment they use in there. But the drum sounds kick fucking ass. And it just goes to show you that you don't need... Oh, by the way, this is this like well-respected, well-regarded guy's actual just normal everyday setup. And um, the drum sounds he gets so organic. They show the drummer playing grooves along to this shitty jazz track, like shitty, shitty contemporary jazz track. And um, he's playing tight as fuck. He's grooving. No editing required or you fucking over-editing pussies out there just a real musician that knows how to play chops and a real engineer who can just mic shit up and make it sound like a drum kit not some synthesized hyper real version of what an instrument is so it's really so there's some actual production going on here yeah man and he does it all on with like microphones that per per piece probably cost between a hundred and $400 as opposed to like vintage thousands of dollar microphones. He's in a room that looks like it's like haphazardly built. Um, It doesn't look like a lavish drum room. And he's in the room with the drummer on a Mackie desk that I reckon would probably cost about three grand tops. So, and Mm. he's using this seriously old version of Pro Tools and barely doing any, anything to the actual sounds. It's so, it's incredible, man. I would buy the book and recommend any DIYer or even any person who earns money for a living off producing who could fucking do with a reality check about what music sounds like Um, and just just have have a listen. Just fucking have a listen, man. Cool. Well, I'll be checking that out too. Sounds fucking interesting. Yeah. You do have a big fat stiffy for Bobby Osinski, eh? Um. Some of it's, yeah, I think he's put out some good stuff. And some of it is like a little basic, like if you're buying these books, you know, you expect to have just a little bit of elementary knowledge already. So it's like half, it starts with really, really beginner basic stuff and then delves into some shit that you really would need a lot of experience to kind of comprehend the concepts a little bit. So, Mm. yeah, it's not, I don't know, it's kind of extreme beginner to sort of semi-intermediate or something but yeah i do really like what he's put out there and he asked some pretty good questions on his podcast yeah yeah he's he's all right good stuff well let's leave it there we'll be back again soon we might um might look at doing top 10 album episode or we might uh do a 
bit of a production episode or uh, some other ideas coming up soon and there will definitely be more interviews early in the new year that we'll get into too. Um, we're going to go out with a song called In Valor from our debut album Only the Brave Return. Back to the town with the windows down. <laughs> uh, any last words, Ash? No, none at all. Um, yeah, looking forward to listening to In Valor again, for God's sake. <laughs> all right, catch you guys soon. You're listening to Climbing the Thorn, Blogecast. <laughs> we welcome the man who returned from a land where only the brave return. Came back to the town when the wind died down and only the brave return. We welcome the man who returned from a land where only the brave return. Came back to the town when the wind died down and only the brave return. We welcome the man who returned from a land where only the brave return. He came back to the town when the wind died down and only the brave return. We welcome the man who returned from a land where only the brave return. He came back to the town when the wind died down and only the brave return. And so the story has begun, and we have heard the start of one of the most heroic battles of prior times. However, with many more battles to come, and many more quests to complete, the Order of the Bleeding Heart has much more bravery to prove, and monumentous alterations to undergo. Time will reveal all, and only the brave return.